Welcome back to the Arizona Wildlife Federation podcast. My name is Michael and I am your host. And today, today's show, well, to be frank, it's a little selfish of me. Uh, And that is because I have recently gotten back into traditional archery. So that's archery with a recurve or a long bow, a bow made out of wood or other materials, but a bow lacking the wheels and mechanical pieces that we find on modern compound bows. So one of the nice things about doing this podcast is I get to explore ideas that I'm excited about. So with today's episode, we're going to be talking a bit about traditional archery. But also, we are going to be talking to the legendary Greg Munther. And I say legendary because the man, he's simply a legend. He's 80 years old, has spent a life in the wilderness pursuing just some magnificent animals, you know, with his stick and string, with a traditional bow. And successfully, I might add. But, you know, he's got a, a lifetime of, of rich experiences. He is always willing to help others. He, he has spent his life involved in conservation and fighting the good fight for our wildlife and our habitat and our public lands. The man is just, uh, he, he's someone to be admired. Greg is from Montana, although for many, many years now, he has spent every winter here in Arizona roaming the, the hills of our border country in pursuit of coos white-tailed deer and Mern's quail along with our desert quail species too. So I really hope you enjoy this show with Greg. He is uh, he's just something else. Before we get into that though, I want to let you know, let's see, this show will be coming out on Monday. Following Wednesday the 17th, we will have our annual camo at the Capitol event down at our state capitol. We will be at the Wesley, Wesley Bolin Memorial Plaza. That's right out in front of the Capitol, so you can't miss us. So this event is primarily for our great conservation organizations in Arizona to come together in one place and show solidarity for our wildlife, our habitat, our public lands, our access to those public lands, and the heritage of hunting and angling. So we get together, we cook up some delicious wild game dishes to serve to our state legislators, decision makers, agency folks, um, so they can get a, a firsthand tangible connection with wildlife and hunting and angling. It, it's a really good time. The public is invited to come down and hang out. Uh, this is your opportunity to maybe meet some of your legislators. Uh, also meet those folks that are, are mo- most deeply ingrained into the conservation community in Arizona. You can feel out some of these different organizations, find out which one is for you and which one you want to support and start volunteering with. So I would encourage you to come on down. The event is from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And we will be down there. You can't miss us. And I would certainly like to see you. If you do come down, be sure and say hello to me. And uh, I'd love to shake your hand and say hello. So with that, let's uh, get into the show with the legendary Greg Munther. All right, let me start by saying thanks. Thanks for being here, especially on short notice. We're kind of winging this one. Greg, I want to get around to traditional archery, kind of a kind of a one-on-one kind of thing, you know, the whys, the hows, some of the mechanics, some of the equipment. But I also, I want to talk about you, how I know you, how you're involved in Arizona, um, some of the adventures you've been on, if you're okay with that. Sure. Well, I, I guess I'll, I'll start by saying... We'll tell you what, how about this? Uh, let's have you do an introduction. Tell us who you are, where you're from, where you are right now, uh, maybe kind of your relationship to Arizona. Sure. Uh, actually, I live in Missoula, Montana. I've uh, been there for 40-some years. I grew up in Idaho. Uh, for the last 24 winters, I've escaped the below zero temperatures, and I've been down in southern Arizona, and we kind of the last number of years, we've kind of centered in Patagonia, uh, south of Tucson, about an hour. I've been down here. My wife loves it. She's got a bunch of gal friends she hangs with. And uh, I get out virtually every day, either bow hunting, cow's whitetail, or quail hunting. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't, <laughs> how do I say this? I, I, I don't want to maybe stereotype you, but how old are you, Greg? I just turned 80. Okay. And, and and what 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 did you shoot the other day with your bow? 
Oh, I shot a little uh, cow's whitetail buck. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. It was exciting. Um, my record isn't great, but I've got enough to keep me going every year, and it keeps me out in the woods uh, a lot of days, and that's th that's one of the really cool things about traditional archery is that for a, one single tag, you get a lot of days of field, and that's and a lot of close encounters, and uh, I've been doing it for <laughs> decades and decades and decades, and uh uh, it's, it's wonderful every day out there. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think to your general hunting public that that's almost a mythical feat. I know it's doable. I know guys do it, but to shoot, you know, one of the, the sketchiest little deer we have in North America with, with the traditional bows, it's not a small thing. It's, it's a difficult task. So I, I was impressed to see that. You know, I've had a chance, uh, Michael to, to hunt a lot of critters, different continents um over a lot of decades and i find cow's whitetail with traditional longbow uh, to be my greatest challenge ever and every time i'm <laughs> busted by a, a whitetail again i gotta just chuckle and i give so much admiration for their survival instincts and it's 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 getting I, I i tell people 80 if i i can find my stand that's a great day or if i can or if it's a good day if i can find my stand if i can get up in a tree and down out of a tree without falling that's a great day and if i get within 20 yards of a whitetail that's a miracle so yeah <laughs> well I, I think it's awesome um and uh, it gives me a lot of hope you know, that I can, I can, I can keep doing this thing that I love for a number of years to come. Uh, so let's talk about, let's first off, I, I know you, Greg, uh, through the conservation circles. I've been fortunate to hunt, uh, hunt some quail with you behind your dogs. Uh, and you were gracious enough to take me out after, um, West Slope cutthroat trout in your home state of Montana when I was up there for the backcountry hunters and anglers rendezvous. But I know that you've been involved with backcountry hunters and anglers. I know that you've been involved with quail forever, but any other conservation organizations that you're active with or have been, you know, I've been involved in lots of organizations over the years. I've been on lots of, uh, organizational boards and, and so on. And I, I uh, yeah, I mean, ever since uh, actually my, my education and my work is, is related to conservation. And so it's just in my heart and soul. And it, it's my passion in life is to try to pass on something for the next generation, hopefully nearly as good as what I had. And I I have to say, I've, I've, I've told other people and they agree with me of similar age that we lived in the best of eras because we had the freedom to go. We had relatively little pressure the habitat was still in great shape and um yeah i mean so and i just feel like everybody that's participating in hunting or fishing now owes it to give back to some degree whatever degree they can but it's just a way of passing on a great bunch of traditions so yeah i agree with that and i see your son getting your son out shooting a bow the other day i, I it almost brought me to tears thinking about how my dad brought my first, brought me a, a longbow home when I was eight years old and it turned my life around. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's just simple little things like that can keep a kid interested in the outdoors and it's, it's great. Yeah. Dude, thank you for saying that. I, I get a lot of joy out of my children and the boy in particularly, he really, he nerds out on all the same stuff that I do. So it's, it's a lot of fun. And also he's, he's a tough little kid. He'll hike up and down mountains all day long. So we, we go on a lot of adventures together and have a lot of fun, but right now he's, he's really excited about his longbow um, and he's working on his form and he's shooting every day and just having a blast. I saw, I saw some videos of you, one of your boys shooting and it just brought back a lot of memories. And uh, I hope I have a young uh, grandson living across the street from me now. So I'm hopeful. And if he's just one year old, but I'm, I've already got plans for him, um, <laughs> near future to get him out. Awesome. Good luck. Yeah. For me, you know, my, my whole life has been about nothing but wildlife and wild places. I mean, that's all I've ever cared about, whether it was lizards and snakes or deer and elk, I've been excited about it all. Um, and honestly, whether it be through conservation or doing it with my children, sharing this stuff is, 
it, all it does is add to the fun and, and value to me. So, uh, you know, a lot, not everybody uh, gets involved in conservation. Some people do it with age, but yeah, I would just encourage everybody to, cause I, it, it adds so much value. Um, you know, it makes you feel good about yourself too, to give back a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's a wonderful activity to get involved in and you meet people of, of like values and, um, I, yeah, I, I can't encourage and I, I really encourage young people to, I know a lot of people are busy with young careers and young families and all that, but it's tough. we really need to pass on these things to another generation moving forward. So when I say young, of course, that's a whole range of ages, but, uh, you know, if you can carve out a few hours a week to donate, that'd be great. Well, for folks that, that don't know who you are, Greg, I want to give them just a little bit of snippet or at least the, uh, the impression that I got when I met you in your Montana home. First off, your home is beautiful. And what river is that on? Yeah, Bitterroot River in Montana, in western Montana. Yeah. M- makes mowing the lawn kind of uh, secondary when you can see blue-winged olives, fish coming up to blue-winged olives off the off the bank. So, yeah. Oh, boy. So I, I've, I've dedicated the – I got 38 minutes to mow my lawn every week, and I, I feel that that's in excess of the time I can – takes me away from fishing. <laughs> That's, that's um, I, I envy you. So when, when I walked into to Greg's home, I walked through his garage and in his garage, he has all of these antlers and skulls hanging up in the rafters. And, and he told me that was the stuff that didn't fit in the house. But when you get into Greg's house, uh, you know, I wouldn't equate it to like, you know, a trophy room, but Greg has got some spectacular animals um, on his walls. Uh, things that I, I, you know, only dream about, whether that be bighorn sheep or mountain goats. And for for folks just to get a picture of this, I, I would recommend, and I hope this is okay with you, Greg, but to look for Greg on Facebook and just just scroll through his his profile pictures and look at some of these magnificent mature animals he's taken with with nothing but a stick and a string, because um, it's, it's quite impressive. So getting on on with that, have you? always hunted with a traditional bow? Uh, you know, I, I, like I say, my dad brought me home a longbow at eight years old, and I my first kill was a little yellow warbler. You know, it has a body side of about a nickel, and I've been trying to be that accurate ever since. Uh, but, yeah, I, I actually, I went and experimented when, when compounds came out. I first, a friend of mine tried to describe a compound bow to me. I'd never seen anything but a longbow or recurve. And he tried to des- describe this over a phone. And at, at that time, the early compounds had four wheels. And I, I was trying to create this mental picture in my mind. I couldn't get there. And so he said, do you want to go look at one? So we ended up driving down and pulled one back. And back then, it had like 35% let off. And so I we actually ordered two on the spot. We thought our problems were over. And I, it, I mean, it did. It made... It made bow hunting far easier. And um, yeah, for about 10 years, I guess, I shot a compound bow. And then about 1983, I decided that I'd seen all this equipment stuff was going with archery. And I decided that it wasn't for me. So I went back to a recurve and longbow. And I've been there ever since. So, yeah. Well, this is kind of a new venture for me. I, I did. I shot a recurve in my early twenties and I enjoyed it so much. I I liked carrying it in the woods. It was light as a feather. um, And I loved shooting it. I'd look forward to shooting every day. I would get off work. I'd go home and shoot. Um, And then for one reason or another, I kind of, I got away from hunting altogether for a little while there and left that behind. And when I picked it back up, um, of course I, I I got a compound um, and I shot that for, for many years and I, I'd say the last two deer I shot with my bow, the last one was at 40 yards, but the one before that was over 70 yards. Um, and now, now I've decided to, to ditch all that um, and get back into traditional archery because it's always kind of just been there in the back of my head, you know, just waiting. So I decided to take the plunge um, and I bought an in, inexpensive uh, longbow that I've been shooting with, trying to get accurate with uh, and get my form down. But, you know, ultimately what it comes down to is I've effectively cut my range, you know, by more than two thirds, you know, 
And so I've been thinking a lot about why somebody would do this, you know, handicap themselves like that. And, you know, one of the things that I've come up with, uh, well, one, I would say it just feels like there's so much more richness to it. And I really don't know how to parse that out and make it make sense. But also I would say it's just plain more fun. It's just so much more fun. And then finally, I've been thinking about it like this, and I I might be way off base here, but, you know, folks tend to be right-brained or left-brained. So, and I forget which side does which, but, you know, there's a holistic side, there's an analytical side. So analytical folks, they tend to be good at math and, and little tasks and things like that. Holistic people tend to be more big picture thinkers, uh, philosophy, art, those sort of things. And I was thinking about a compound and a compound, the whole, whole dang thing is set up to take you out of the picture as much as possible to where basically you're, you're operating a machine. You still have to do that well, of course, and that takes practice. But with a, a traditional bow, it's all about you. You know, you're in control of everything. And there's just so much, it's so much more of a process. Uh, and I find that process just unbelievably rewarding. So with that, what are some of the reasons, you know, I, I guess you kind of kind of laid it out there. You didn't like the technology um, where it was going with, with compound bows, but any other reasons you t- tend to lean towards traditional archery? Absolutely. I mean, I think... I, I think the ultimate challenge for me, and, and it's, it's required with traditional archer equipment, is you have to penetrate the animal's natural defense distance. And I, I'd say that pre, you know, basically the natural prey that or predators that, that face white-tailed deer or mule deer or, are, are animals that primarily are stalking and pouncing. And so I've often thought that once a, a, a mountain lion gets within 20 yards of a whitetail, it's probably in trouble. And so I try to visualize me as a hunter as a mountain lion in some regard. In other words, I want to penetrate that distance and feel good about that I've done things right with respect to wind and distance or uh, wind and and uh, noise and all that sort of thing. And uh, at, at, at 40 yards or 80 yards or whatever, you know, my hunt's just beginning, um, you know, <laughs> and a lot of people, their, their hunt ends at that distance. Mine is just, the, the challenge has just started to begin. So, you know, for me, that's, that's kind of why I do it. I enjoy the equipment. I enjoy uh, making my equipment, you know, shooting something. Well, I don't do this all the time, but I'm, as a quest, you know, I made my own Osage bow and made my own arrows out of, um, uh, Red osier dogwood shafts and straightened them and sanded them and and made my uh, uh, you know bone uh, broadheads and wrapped it with sinew and put on wild turkey feathers I killed um, and made a, an arrow and a bow that I could shoot and killed a couple things with it. And that, I mean that's that's getting back down and making the challenge even more challenging and and it, you know I mean I'll, I'll always remember the, those challenges even more than my regular bow that's that that was made by somebody else so that that's pretty exciting for me yeah i i I've, i'm not ready to take it that far but i could see myself going down that rabbit hole for sure in the future well i've located some osage for you down here in southern arizona so when you get ready we're going to put together hopefully an osage gathering party and uh split your osage and take it home and you and your son can make bows so yeah oh man he would he would dig that big time I know uh, back in Missouri, we have Osage that grows native. And um, how I understand it is Osage kind of co-evolved with, with mammoths and mastodons. Some of that, that Pleistocene megafauna w- were the seed dispersals for the Osage trees. Have you ever heard that? Well, I'm, I'm old, but I'm not that old. I can't verify that. all right well that's what i hear anyway um all right so for the for the listeners uh to get into kind of the nuts and bolts of traditional archery um you know there's there's recurve bows which are really common and then those are typically wooden um are, are sometimes you know they can even be aluminum uh 
with uh, various style limbs, but they recurve up at the tips. Sometimes they're one piece, sometimes they're three piece. There are long bows um, that can and can come in similar fashions, but but you know the main ones you see are what they call a deflex, which would be if you imagined taking a stick and bending it and tying a string to it. And then there's the deflex reflex bows, which have a reflex to the entire limb of the long bow. Um, and then there's also self bows, uh, like your Osage bow you built yourself. But what what are you currently shooting now, Greg? I'm shooting a Tolkien reflex deflex bow of 54 pounds, which is probably four pounds more than I should be, but it's I'm used to it. And uh, currently what I have, my self bow, I, I'm always working on a new self bow. Uh, you can make them out of a variety of hardwoods. Uh, people actually made them out of boards, uh, going down and get a maple board and actually can make a bow out of that if you get the grain to be right. Um, but yeah, I mean, you that's currently what I'm doing, but um, there's a lot of great bow makers around the country. Uh, you can buy commercially made ones that are made on a production line or a lot of my friends. I have, I have different bows from all my bow making friends up in Montana. I have one of each, almost all their bows. So, um, you know, just, I always like to shoot somebody else's uh, creations too. So, yeah. So you, you mentioned your, your draw weight and, that might be confusing to some some uh, more, uh, what, what do you say, what's the opposite of traditional archery, um, just compound shooters, uh, where my compound bow, I shot at 70 pounds, uh, but a 70-pound recurve, would, our long bow, would be far too heavy for me to shoot. In fact, the, the, the inexpensive bow that I'm shooting now that I just kind of bought to work on my form with is only 40 pounds at 28 inches. And that allows me to shoot, practice, kind of get my form down without pulling all that weight. Uh, but I'm having I'm having another bow built for me at, at 55 pounds, so I look forward to getting that and uh, and shooting that one. But but yeah, I think that's maybe misunderstood by a lot of folks. That yeah, if you're going from a compound to a traditional bow, you you don't want to stay in that same weight range. You want to drop down significantly. And absolutely, I think one of the things that I caution people about is don't over bow you just don't need that much bow weight to be effective on north american game animals i've shot alaskan bull moose with 55 pound bow i've shot bison with 55 pound bow pretty much any critter you want to do in north america you can do with a 55 pound bow or less and so geez yeah with there are people shooting whitetail with 40 pound bows successfully um you have to for me you have to kind of balance out the the bow with the weights of the arrows and the and the, the amount of surface area of a broadhead, so you get enough penetration to make it successful. But yeah, a, a, a properly placed arrow, you don't take, need a lot. Um, these little cows' whitetail <laughs> are pretty tricky. They're um, they are so wary and so wired that I actually had I shot at a. A, a whitetail buck a few years ago that was had no idea it was there and I shot it at 20 yards and the deer was the deer was gone by the time I uh the arrow got there so, yeah. oh wow so w- what is your effective range with your whip your tolki well max would be 20 my preferred when I try to set up uh some kind of a situation a stand of some kind I try for like 15 10 to 15. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I feel, I always like to increase my odds to the degree it's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, of course to get that close, everything has to be right. In fact, this last year I got, I actually had to have a wind from the Northeast to be successful because the deer were, were coming through this area and they were coming very warily to water and and they circle around that's the beautiful thing about these cows whitetail is they they circle to be coming into the wind 95 percent of the time and so if you don't have the wind just right um you you basically uh, you're basically going to be detected and they're not even going to come close and the wind's always drifting around and so anyway it's dangerous to be too close but uh, on the other hand, you want to be able to, when you have a shot, you want to be able to make a good killing shot on it. So, 
that's my my yeah. desired range is fifteen to twenty yards most of the time. So yeah. Okay. You you mentioned water. Were you were you sitting water? Were you hunting out of a blind? Yeah, I was I was sitting this time I was sitting on water on a blind. I, I try not to on these cows white tail be right out the water, uh, if I can help it because they get more and more nervous the closer they get to water. And they'll stand and look at water from yeah, you know, yeah. fifty yards away or whatever. They'll stand and stare at it for fifteen minutes. And of course all that fifteen minutes the winds drifting around in the eddies and so on and and uh they're just incredible neat creatures yeah they sure are well i want to i want to pick apart some some of your your techniques uh for shooting you know we already know what you shoot now we know your effective range when, when you are uh, when you're shooting are you aiming or are you shooting purely instinctively for me everybody has their own technique and i certainly don't criticize anybody's technique i think it's whatever works for them and over time, I've become what's called a gap shooter. Okay. In other words, my my left right is determined because my eye is centered right over the the arrow shaft going down. So, if I get a proper release, my left right isn't um, usually a question. Uh, the distance is measured by the gap, mm-hmm. which is the distance between the tip of the arrow and the animal, or whatever some reference point to the tip of the arrow. That's usually that's called gap shooting. So that's what I. It's been most successfully for, successful for me. Other people can snap shoot and do really well. Yeah, for the folks that are listening, you know, there, there's various ways to to shoot and hit your target with a traditional bow. Uh, one of which, and and probably the oldest method, would be called instinctive, and that that is simply where you need your your form and your release to be perfect. But ultimately, all you're doing is staring at your target, staring at where you want that arrow to hit. And then you release your arrow and it, if it all goes right, it hits where you were looking. Um, that's what I'm trying to learn right now. Who knows where I'm going to end up with this, but I might start aiming later. But with aiming, you're, you're really you're kind of almost using your arrow tip as um, like a, a sight or a pin on your bow, and, and you're you're putting that arrow point at different places depending on how far away your target is. And there's you know exactly. there's a lot it's of gray area in yeah. between those two things. A lot of different ways to go about this. Um, there's string walking. Um, I mean it's 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 you know it's a whole rabbit hole when you get into it and start learning about it. But all a lot of fun. No matter which direction you go, it's a blast. I promise you. I, I love shooting my bow now, and quite honestly. I didn't enjoy shooting my compound. Um, it was a chore, but but shooting shooting this longbow is fun, and I look forward to it every day. Greg, when you're during hunting season, are are you practicing regularly? I try to shoot. I try to shoot as much as I can. I mean, all summer long I shoot. Um, I have both a target in my basement and I have one outside. Um, of course, that's relative, it's flat situations. I try to shoot elevated, practice shooting elevated. Um, I think that's important. Um, I, I try to shoot kneeling at, on my knees. I try to shoot. I'm not very good at laying down. At my age, I can't I lay down. I can't get back up. But anyway, it's like, <laughs> anyway, but I try different situations. And I always, if I'm in a stand and I get done at the end of the day, I always carry a couple of judo points and I try to shoot. Uh, at yeah. something you know at, from my shooting from my hunting situation yeah that's another thing i really enjoy about uh traditional bows is you can actually see the flight of your arrow uh, which adds a whole whole another element of excitement to shooting it and you can go out and shoot stumps and trees and clumps of grass and this is stuff you can't do with a compound bow because you can't afford to lose that many arrows but yeah the satisfaction of seeing that arrow flight is really nice it's it's wonderful. I I have a, a I'm fortunate to live near some public land, woods, forest, ponderosa pine, and and uh, my f- favorite activity is take my dogs, maybe with somebody else, but we go shooting pine cones and we go up and down the mountain, gets us some physical exercise, climb maybe a thousand feet up with the dogs. They get to run around. Uh, I get to shoot at pine cones and with judo points, they're they're pretty forgiving. You can find them most of the time, and so. Yeah, I can go. If you looked at my judo arrows, or they're, they're uh, the, the fletchings half off and semi, you know, functional, but they work good enough. So yeah. <laughs> 
Um, Greg, for, for my own, uh, my own education here, cause I'm, I'm, I've been studying arrows, you know, and, and, and tuning a bow with your arrows, but what, what kind of arrows are you shooting? What material are they made of and how, what kind of broadheads and how much weight are you shooting? Are, are those arrows and, and where is that weight? Well, I talk about, you know, at least 10 grains of, uh, arrow weight per pound of bow. So if you're shooting a 50 pound bow, you need at least 500 grains of arrow, but you know, I just shoot what works for me. Um, I tend, I have woods, I shoot woods some, but not always. I, I, my go-to for the last 40, 50 years has been aluminum and I shoot aluminum. I can straighten them out, uh, get a lot of, uh, they work for me. And I, I <laughs> that's just, just me. Uh, and my broadheads, I, I shoot a different broadhead for elk than I do deer. I always feel like uh, getting an exit hole is really uh, valuable and trailing an, an animal. So I try to, you know, if you're shooting down at an animal and you don't get an exit hole, that that wound is up higher in the chest and, and tends not to leave a lot of blood on the ground. If you get an exit hole, it can just pour out like a like pouring out of a, a jug of water. So um, I try to shoot, get something that does an exit hole. Um, so it depends on. The resistance to the broadhead, of course, is the surface area you have. And so I tend to shoot two-blade broadheads for elk, and I tend to shoot three-blade broadheads for for deer. But that uh, everybody can make their own choice. I I tend to shoot – it's all – all my stuff is fixed-blade, sharpen-your-own type stuff. Um, Zwickies and Magnus and, you know, I use a old snuffer broadheads and or Wenzel Woodsman they're called, but whatever. Yeah, I, I think as long as they're sharp and and can get an exit hole, you're good. Good. So, yeah. Greg, you know why I don't like aluminum arrows? When when I was a kid, and all I could afford to shoot were like hand me down arrows and things like that, and everything was aluminum when I was a kid. Yep. I don't think I ever had a straight arrow in my quiver, um, and so my my entire childhood was spent trying to bend aluminum arrows back to being straight. So now I'm all carbon all the time just because I don't have to deal with that. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm telling you what, if I was 30 years younger, I'd probably go to be carbon. I think carbon's a great material. It's just that you need different knocks, you need different inserts, you need different, all this stuff different. And I'm too old to change. And I have a lot of stuff to shoot up before I'm done. So <laughs> I, my backlog is I don't need to make a change. I thought I thought about carbon. I actually did. I thought, right. geez, maybe I'll try some carbon stuff. And then I thought, all this equipment, you know, I do my own fletching, all that stuff. I thought, geez, I better, you know, I better stay with something I know. So that's what I've done. So. Yeah. So when you're making your own fletchings, I'm assuming you're using turkeys. How, how do you cut those fletchings or do you use a die? I usually buy my fletching. I I buy, um, unless I'm doing self, uh, self arrows, I, I use pre-cut mm-hmm. uh, fletching. So I buy five inch okay. fletching and I'm a big fan of bright colors somewhere in the in the scheme of things i i taught bow ed for 20 some years and and uh one of the primary things i tried to reinforce with all the students was that arrow when it impacts an animal the the penetration you get the where that is on the animal all determines what you should do next and you know I, so I use bright fletching I can see in, in different lights. So I tend to use, I have usually have, I'm kind of partial to chartreuse green for me and only be, it's not very traditional, but on the other hand, I can see it and I owe it to the animal to make as good a kill as I can, clean as I can. And of course, you know, you just want to be able to see the angle of the arrow, you know, in the animal, you only have like, you may only have a second to de- make a determination of what all that is. But if you can create a mental picture, you know, I've made my share of, of bad hits in years and the follow-up. I've been very successful on even a gut shot animal. If you, the, the first decision you have to make is you don't make a move towards an animal for eight hours minimum. And uh, that animal might, it feels sick immediately. It doesn't want to move. And unless you disturb it, I've found these animals dead 40 yards away. They just, 
they went a little ways and I backed off. I tied a little piece of flagging or something on a limb I can find again and back off and give it eight hours and go back and the animal's dead. So I'm, I don't want to get into all the details, but I'm just saying that that arrow penetration, and that's why I use bright fletching, because I've made a determination what I'm going to do afterwards. If I, it's a double lung shot and I'm sure I got it was directly broadside, you know, an hour is probably plenty. But uh, anyway, so that's that's one of the reasons I use bright fletching. Yeah, no, that that's that's good, solid advice. That's a, that's a hard decision to make here in Arizona, especially in the early archery season. And even in winter on desert hunts, it can be tough because things get warm, you know. But, you know, I, I would guess recovering your animal, especially in the desert. This, this deer I killed a couple weeks ago, two ravens had already found this dead deer before I got out of my stand. I gave it a while and two ravens. I hadn't seen ravens there for several days <laughs> all of a sudden i unbelievable i mean how they can how they can find something like that is unbelievable yeah oh yeah they're they're amazing amazing birds um and yeah they, they can they can get on things quick so greg are you shooting a glove a tab do you shoot split finger or three under i shoot split finger i use a glove yeah mm-hmm. in fact i've got a real thin i use a I'm real partial to real thin gloves, and they're really hard to find. Most of the leather is too thick for me, and personally, I just oh yeah, I've got a couple of gloves, and I think if I ever lose them, I got to quit bow hunting because it's hard to find them to replace. That's just right. my personal preference. Other people do fine with heavier gloves, but I'm that's just me, you know. So, and I shoot split finger. Yeah. I, I, I if I was younger, I might go to three under just because it moves your arrow up closer to your eye, so that's a good thing. I have my anchor points always been in the corner of my mouth. Like I say, I'm, I'm too old to change anything. You could write a book about how I should change and it wouldn't change me because I can't, I can't make the changes and, you know, <laughs> I'm too locked in. <laughs> right. You know, at, at almost 50 years old, um, I, I already see myself being resistant to any kind of change. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's a normal progression. Well, Greg, you know, with, you know, you, you've lived a life to be admired and with all the adventures and all the animals you've gotten to pursue, are, are there, are there bucket list trips for you or bucket list animals you want to pursue that are still hanging out there waiting? You know, I would say I've got the chance to do virtually everything I wanted. All the preference points I've pretty much used up uh, over time. I finally got to the point where I actually got tags. So I was able to, to hunt the ones I really cared about. Um, I've, I've been, I've been more than fortunate to be able to have the opportunity to hunt all the critters that I've wanted. I really, I really enjoy the, just the days out, quite frankly. I mean, I just getting close to cow's whitetail the other day, that little buck, uh, I watched two bucks down in the dirt fighting in front of me at 15 yards. Those are the kind of things that I look forward to. And, and I, you know, I know someday that's all going to come to an end, but um, I'm trying to stretch it out as long as I can. So I, you know, I had, I wrote like my bighorn sheep. I finally got, I called it a 50 year Ram quest. Cause I started out hunting them over in a general tag in Idaho when I was 18 and, and finally got, got it exactly when I was 68 uh, a nice ram and and uh but just keeping after it um it's getting tougher and tougher to draw so many special tags but geez and another thing you know i got a chance to hunt uh with dick robertson doug borland hunted uh russia just a year or two after the soviet union broke apart for bears and I mean those kind of experiences are experiences you know i mean the the killing is i don't know, for for me looking back it isn't as exciting as as the experiences of being close to critters and and hunting them in difficult situations and being on top of mountain ranges and all those kind of things are the, uh, geez, that the last goat, I, I've killed a few mountain goats with my bow and the last one I knew I'd probably never get a chance to hunt. So even though I could have killed a goat in the first two or three days I was up, I scouted the course for quite a while, but I could have killed one. I knew it was going to be my last hunt. So I last goat to hunt. So I spent 20 days up on a mountain with me and my llamas and, and uh, bonding with goats. I sat, I found, built a blind over, I found a mineral lick way up in the top of the mountain. And I sat there and watched goats butt heads and grunt and stuff for, for days, just because I enjoyed being close to them. You know, it was great. Yeah. 
I've been uh, I've been fortunate to get close to mountain goats in the high country myself, but I've I've never been able to pursue them on, on a hunt. But I, I can't imagine that, yeah, it, that would that would be a magnificent hunt just because of the place that it puts you. Uh, that is some amazing country up there. Yeah, the country is just phenomenal. I mean, you're up there, and I mean, nobody else. There's zero other people. In fact, I drew the first ever archery goat permit uh, issued in the state of Idaho. There were ten permits and uh i drew and i went up of course i didn't see anybody else go hunting and i shot this goat and i was excited to see how everybody else did and come to find out i was the only applicant for 10 permits that was about 1960 something early 60s and uh of course now you'd be swamped with applications yeah well yeah you know I, I don't I don't expect to ever see a lot of these opportunities. You know, I don't expect to ever really hunt bighorn sheep in uh, Arizona, although two of my friend's children drew tags this year. So the chance is always there, you know, but uh, I'll keep trying. I'll keep putting in for everything. But until then, quite honestly, I have enough opportunity to keep me happy, you know, between hunting deer every year, elk, bear. Uh, there's a lot to do here in Arizona. And eventually I'm going to start spreading that out to other states. But you know, for somebody like me, there's just so much I want to do. I have more opportunity right here than I have time. And, you know, that includes fly fishing as well. So it's it's hard for me to to put that effort into and the money, especially um, into hunting other states because I'm already spending it all, you know, doing stuff here. And I do fish in other states a lot. But, but one of these days I want to start putting effort into drawing tags um, and getting into some different country outside of Arizona. Yeah. I, I mean, Arizona does have some wonderful opportunities, obviously, but you know, I think one traditional archery animal is that is really the best, one of the best animals for uh, the first early uh, traditional archer is javelina and javelina tags are pretty easy to draw. And, and uh, geez, they're, they're wonderful critters. I mean, they're fairly abundant. Uh, you know, you can get, if you get the wind right, be quiet. You can get pretty doggone close to them well within traditional archery range. And I just think they're uh, something that most other states don't have an opportunity to have. So I, I, I really encourage uh, traditional archers to, if they haven't done it already, to try javelina. I think it's a great species. Oh, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that because quite honestly, I already love hunting javelina. But now that I'm I'm shooting a longbow, they they've taken on a whole new interest to me. Uh, so I've like just kind of refell in love with the animal, and I cannot wait to uh, for next year to go go chasing them around with my new bow. For us non-residents, they limited the uh, non-resident over-the-counter archery tags to ten percent of the archery. And I last year I was able to get a tag in which I was able to use a couple of weeks ago, but they moved the date up a month for the call in for tagging so i missed um my opportunity to hunt whitetail next year in arizona which i really 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 regret and uh so i've resorted to i got a slingshot and some marbles and that's going to be my no my new hunting experience in 2024 will be javelina with marbles (laughs) (laughs) yeah looking forward to counting coup yeah Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned how much you enjoy the overall experience of just being out there, the getting close and all that. And, and I a hundred percent agree, you know, my, my whole life, this is, this is what's driven me is getting out into the woods and in the mountains and swamps and stomping around and enjoying the place that I am. And whenever you throw in the pursuit of an animal, it's just that much more exciting. But I will say that I've always felt the pressure to, to bring an animal home. Now, the upside now, and one of the things that things that has allowed me to get back into traditional archery is that my little boy is 10 years old, so he can start drawing big game tags. And my wife, while she's she doesn't enjoy hunting the way I do, she likes having the meat. So she'll hunt deer and elk every year, too. So that's really taken the pressure off of me to always be bringing an animal home. So now I can, I can take my time and I can start, you know, I can close that distance and, and start enjoying these hunts, uh, you know, chasing more mature animals and, and trying to get closer. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful. You're yeah. You're, if your wife hunts and your boy is going to be able to bring home some bacon, that's, 
that's awesome. I mean, I, yeah, I, that, that is a perfect opportunity for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. And the meat, by the way, this cow's whitetail, I gave away to some of our friends here, uh, where we're staying and, uh, boy, everybody loves cow's whitetail meat. It's, it's pretty, very, very, it's, it's delicious. And I, I'm actually, because I'm living in a little camp trailer all winter, I have to cut up my deer on the tailgate of the truck. So, and we don't have a grinder. So my wife has just been wonderful about accepting whatever I bring in and label, whatever I label it, she makes something delicious out of it. So yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Oh, that's great. Well, um, so you think you're going to keep hopping back and forth for the the rest of your years or do you, you're ever going to settle down in one spot or the other? As long as I can find Arizona on the map, I'll probably be down. I mean, if it gets to the point where I don't know where I'm heading in the morning, I guess I'll, I'll probably stay, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just a wonderful break. And I, I encourage people to come to Montana, enjoy Montana. Michael, you've done on the fishing end of things, but there's lots of opportunities to hunt in Montana as well. So, yeah. Oh yeah. You know, uh, I, I envy you, you, you folks that have got that figured out because, you know, you're splitting your, your life between two of the most beautiful places in our nation. And, uh, that, that's no small thing. You're a lucky man. Yeah. I, I certainly am glad that the Arizona's within the continental United States. I can travel without, you know, uninhibited in any way. And I love to travel internationally as well. Uh, in fact, we were ready to go to Yemen, uh, fishing in April, but that looks like, uh, with them shooting missiles from Yemen into ships are probably out of the question whether we're going to make that trip. So, yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a smart move. You know, I've, I've been talking to my wife more and more, you know, we, we live in, in a, in a beautiful mountainous place and I feel like, you know, I, I got that part, you know, and I'm very grateful for it, but I want to live part of the year somewhere salty and tropical where I can, I can chase, you know, these iconic saltwater species like tarpon and permit and bonefish. Um, I, I listen to and, and read about these old um, saltwater captains and fly fishermen. And these guys, they, they have a certain, a certain peace and just contentness about them that I can only imagine comes from living in those tropical places and chasing those fish. So I, I want a little bit of that in my life. Well, you should. I mean, I, I'm, in fact, I'm leaving here, Arizona in early February so I can make a trip to the Bahamas for a couple of weeks, uh, bone fishing. And, and I've usually, I usually try some March in Montana is not the best month. I try to, to, uh, it's kind of call it the Brown month. It isn't white and it isn't green. And, uh, it's a good time to be out saltwater flats. And so, yeah, I try to chase tarp. In fact, I, I'm sitting here yeah. uh, just the other day in the rain, pouring down. I was tying barracuda flies and bonefish flies and and uh, getting ready for the next little adventure. So, yeah. In fact, I just tied up for a friend of mine, Outstanding. John Milliken in uh, Sierra Vista. I just tied him up some barracuda flies to give him. He's heading to Belize. I tied up some cow's whitetail into the, into the barracuda flies for him to use. In fact, I said there's, I'm going to tell him there's, there's a little bit of blood left on that uh, white tail tail. It'll be sent. It'll be sent in the water with the barracuda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, Greg, I, thank you so much for taking the time and talking to me today, especially last minute notice like we did. I, I appreciate it. And it's been, it's been good catching up with you. Oh, it's perfect. Thanks. I appreciate the invitation. I always, I'd always enjoy talking with you, Michael. And I'm hoping you come back up and, We'll go fishing somewhere. Yeah, I'd love that. Uh, count on it. Or bird hunting or whatever you want to do. <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck Bring yeah. your boys up. That'd be great too. Oh, I know. I know. He, he would he would get a kick out of it. Um, I, I drag my daughter along and she really enjoys the stuff when I get her out doing it. But she'd also rather stay home. So, but yeah, but I, I keep I keep making her go and it's it's you know, it's not it's not too hard on her. She really has a good time when I get her out there. But uh, the boy's easy because he, he gets excited about the stuff the same way I do. Yeah. Thank you so much, Greg. Well, you know, it's it's funny. I I consider myself to be a very lucky person um, who has had a very fulfilling and rich life. 
And I have so much more to look forward to. But, you know, I, I've got to do a lot of trips all over this country and beyond. Uh, seen a lot of beautiful places. I've, I've suffered in the good way in the mountains and been uncomfortable. It's that type, type B fun that, you know, it's pretty miserable while you're there. But when you look back on it, you look back on it fondly. And, you know, I've, I've, I've had all these great adventures. But... We always, well, I say we, I always tend to compare myself to people that are, have done more, that are smarter, that, you know, I, I don't compare myself to the, to the average American Joe who's, you know, doing the daily grind. But I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, Greg Munther, he, he's a guy that, that you should emulate to be more like, you know, whether that is is going on more adventures, you know, you only get to live once, um, or, or just being a more thoughtful person and giving back. Because, um, boy, that guy, he, he's done it all, um, but he very much deserves it. He works hard, um, and, and he gives back. So, that I, in my opinion, he's a man to emulate. He's a man that I will uh, emulate, and, um, and I'm sure I will fall very fast far short but uh but boy he's he's a he's a heck of a guy to look up to and try to be more like so i already know that you enjoyed that show with greg uh again i'd recommend look up his facebook uh page check out some of these magnificent animals that he's that he's brought home with him and uh yeah yeah he's uh, i really enjoyed talking to him i really enjoyed catching up hope to get back out in the field with him again soon and regarding traditional archery it might be for you it might not, but I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about it. And who knows, maybe, maybe, maybe that's the thing that'll push you over the edge and and uh, cause you to uh, to take that next step in additional archery. I can tell you, I'm not one to be given advice. It's a brand new endeavor for me, but I can tell you, I'm enjoying the heck out of it. So much fun. So I certainly recommend it at this point in the game. So until next time. Don't forget this show is made possible by the Arizona Wildlife Federation. Arizona Wildlife Federation has been working for our wildlife, our habitat, our public lands, our access to enjoy this, this great state of ours here in Arizona. And that doesn't matter if you hunt or fish. Uh, it doesn't matter if you just prefer camping or day hiking or, you know, just taking a walk around uh, our public parks. Uh, we, we are here to help preserve our outdoors, our public spaces, and our wildlife, and we've been doing it for 100 years now. So if you would like to uh, support the work that we do, you can do that by jumping on our website. Just Google Arizona Wildlife Federation. Take a look around there. If you like what you see, uh, you can click a link and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And, uh, you can support us. You can support us, and by doing that, you'll get our quarterly glossy magazine that we put a lot of work into and i know that you will enjoy uh, i hope to see you down at capital camo at the capital uh this wednesday and um yeah we'll talk to you again in two weeks in the meantime please don't hesitate to reach out to me at podcast at azwildlife.org and give me your suggestions your comments your criticisms uh, i would enjoy hearing from you thanks